to the Prophecy Club. Our topic today is corrections. Uh, yeah, in other words, I'm about to apologize for something. Back many years before I got into the Prophecy Club, I used to be a public speaking instructor, sales course, management course, and that sort of stuff. I remember one of the talks in the meetings was about a fellow whose job it was to get back lost accounts. And he worked for this water company that delivered water in various sizes, cases, and five-gallon jugs and things like that. He said that when someone called and canceled their water service, it was his job to go back and try to get that person to get their business back with them. He said, this is what I did. He said, I would go to the front door, I would ring the doorbell, and I would take several steps back. And when they opened the door, I would take several more steps back, trying to let them know subconsciously that I don't want in the house. I'm not trying to be any kind of a threat. And he said, I ducked my head and I began to apologize. And I would say, ma'am, I'm just here because I, I need to apologize. Our company has made a terrible, terrible mistake, and I'm here to apologize. We really, really do want to make this right. We want your business. And, of course, the lady would always say, well, what company are you with? And he would say, no, ma'am, I'm, I'm afraid to tell you the name of my company because I know that you're probably just going to get mad and slam the door right in my face. And first of all, I just want to say I apologize before you even slam the door in my face. No, no, it's, it's okay. Who are you with? Okay, well, first of all, let me just apologize. I want to say profusely without any question, we know that we have messed up. We know that we have made a mistake, and we apologize. Oh, it, it's okay. Who are you with? And so finally... <laughs> After apologizing very profusely, he would tell her the company, and she would say, Oh, well, that's nothing. We can work around that. I was just frustrated. I just want the water delivered on time. I want it delivered on the date that I—and, of course, he would immediately then begin to make all of the promises that were necessarily uh, to see that the lady is going to be happy. Well, in, when you're in ministry— People want to think that you're perfect, but the truth is God uses some strange people, some weak people, and he uses sinners. Now, the reason most ministers don't want to admit when they've done something wrong is because they're afraid it's going to hurt their donations. Because the people think high of them, that's why they send the donations. So they conclude, if I admit that I've done something wrong, then it's going to reduce our donations. So they absolutely, positively will not admit when they're wrong. Well, I don't get a lot of compliments out of my wife very, very often. She's a prophet, and she doesn't see in gray. She sees black and white. And, oh, boy, if I have done anything wrong, let me tell you, I hear about it. I don't need anyone correcting me or criticizing me because if I do anything wrong, first of all, I hear it from the Lord. And if I, <laughs> if I don't hear it from the Lord, I hear it from my wife. But to one thing that she does give me credit for, I will pass along. And that is, one thing about Stan is, if he has done something wrong, he will admit it. Okay, well, that's an attempt to try to please the Lord. Because the Lord says, if you don't forgive, then neither will you be forgiven. Well, since I make, <laughs> in life, I make a lot of mistakes. Uh, I'm a real person. I'm not perfect. So since I make a lot of mistakes, I know that I have to be real ready to forgive other people, because if I don't forgive them, then he's not going to forgive me. 
So since I'm going to need a lot of forgiveness, I'm quick to forgive other people, and I try to be quick to admit when I'm wrong. Dale Carnegie says, if you're wrong, admit it quickly and emphatically. Now, that word emphatically means in no uncertain terms. It doesn't mean to doctor over it. It doesn't mean to dance around. It doesn't mean to try to sidestep. And of course, these days they say pivot or to pivot around the issue. So I've got something to admit to you. I believe it's probably something you'll understand, but I've got something to admit. And I'm going to ask your forgiveness on it because I know as a Christian that you will forgive me because you want to be forgiven. So here's an email I got, and I got two or three of these similar. Stan, I love your Prophecy Club channel, and I've been watching you for over a year. Your information is so vital for these last days, but please stop bragging and saying, quote, I was the first one. This lowers the professionalism of your show. Folks get tired of hearing that over and over. We would prefer to think that God was involved in revealing this to you, Anne. Well, Anne, you're exactly right. Please forgive me. So I was actually not the first one to announce the indictments. Hmm. You see, several of you sent me some research, and this also got me to doing my own research. And I believe it's important that you know that I am going to tell you the truth to the very best of my ability. And if it's not the truth, it's the truth that I at least have the information on up to that point. Now, if I get more information and I'm shown that it's a different way, then I'm happy and quick to change my opinion. And I believe you are too. So if I start lying to you, I know that you won't listen to the other very important messages that I bring. So when I make a mistake, it is more important that you know that I will come on the air and say, yeah, I made a mistake. Because if I don't do that, then you're saying, okay, so what other mistakes have you made that you didn't tell me about, Stan? If you're not willing to admit on the big ones or the small ones or whatever size, if you're not willing to admit when you made a mistake, then I don't know if I can trust you. I want you to trust me. So that's what I'm about to say. So here it is. I was wrong. I've discovered that I was actually not the first to detect all of these indictments. Sometimes I don't say what I really intend to say. Sometimes I say it without really searching my heart about what I'm really trying to say. Have you ever said something and you thought, well, that's not exactly the way I intended to say that? Well, that's kind of what has happened. So let me say it clearly and emphatically. I did say that I was the first one to detect the indictments. I do believe I only said that once. Most of the other times, I think I said that I was one of the first or among the first. Those kind of statements, those would be correct. So I should not have said I was the first to detect the indictments. However, I should have said that I was the first to tie the indictments to the internal revolution and to the prophecies. That is true. And I think that's the more important part. But again, I want you to know that if I can't admit on a little thing, if I can't tell you then, then how do you know you can trust me with the other things? So I want you to know that you can trust me. And <laughs> you can also trust all of the people that are listening to the program, because if I make a mistake, I certainly hear about it pretty quickly. But we'll talk about that in a second, too. 
So I will clarify my statement. I want you to know that to the very best of my ability, I am bringing you the truth. So I actually looked it up. So here's the real scoop on all of the uh, indictments thing. November the 3rd, try to remember that date. That's important. November the 3rd, 2017, John Huber of Utah was appointed the prosecutor. And shortly after that, the indictments began to stack up. The first person that, according to the research that was sent to me and that we were able to find, there could be another one, but according to the research we were able to find, the first person that actually revealed the indictments was revealed on 11-5 of 17. And I'll say the person's first name, Liz. And the title was How Mueller and President Trump Are Pulling the Biggest Sting in History. So that's, again, according to our best efforts, that was the first one, but according to our best efforts, I was the seventh one to reveal it. So saying that I was among the first, absolutely positively correct. Now, we also did more research. The first broadcast in which I mentioned the sealed indictments, I mentioned it on November the 17th, a Friday, November 17th. So let me go back through that. John Huber was appointed prosecutor. He's the guy that's stacking up all the indictments. That was November 3rd. This Liz revealed it on 11-5. It was on my broadcast, 11-17. And in the broadcast, at the 150 mark, I mentioned that I got the information from Hal Turner. And at that time, there was 1,800 indictments. So, in other words, I wasn't the first, but I was very, very close. Now, I know you're probably saying at this point, oh, Stan, that you're splitting hairs. It wasn't that big a deal. I understand. But I also want you to know that you can count on me. Matter of fact, one day my daughter uh, stood up and said in church, one of the things that I like about my dad is I know that he is bringing us the truth to the very best of his ability. I want you to know that. I want you to know that if God would tell me more, I would reveal more. I I bring you all of the, the truth that I possibly, possibly can So, I was not the first to announce the indictments. I was one of the first, and I was the first to tie those indictments to the start of the internal revolution of Dmitry Dudeman and to the prophecies. So, here's my official request for your forgiveness. Please forgive me. Now, as a Christian, yeah, God, I forgive me, or you won't be forgiven. Now, speaking of holding ministers accountable, when you do email me at ask. Stan at prophecyclub.com. Let me recommend that you understand the situation, especially if you're not full-time in the ministry. You're emailing someone that is full-time in the ministry. In other words, you're not just emailing just another buddy that you can just attack to whatever degree you feel like you want to. Be careful of how you speak, how you write to a full-time minister, because it can get you into trouble. Remember my goal, I'm called to raise up an army of end-time prophecy teachers working miracles. I don't want you to get in trouble with the Lord because of the way you handled yourself with the minister, me or anyone else. I've always made it a practice now for years to never, ever, ever criticize another brother or sister in the Lord. Why? (laughs) Because the Lord is quite capable of correcting his own, and he doesn't need my help. So when you call, like Ann did here, she started with a compliment. 
Dale Carnegie says, begin in a friendly way. Okay, so and another thing he says is talk about your own mistakes before criticizing others. So it might be a good idea to think about those and kind of keep those in mind. Whenever you contact another ministry, always assume that that person is in high regard with the Lord. And as his servant, you don't want to speak against the Lord's anointed that could get you in trouble. Now, the reason I know uh, about God's corrections, I've received some of it. <laughs> so I know he does not need my help correcting other people. Revelation twelve ten says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. Meaning, the job of Lucifer is to be the accuser of the brethren. That's not our job. As Christians, that's not our job. Our job is not to go around trying to find something that some Christian is doing or saying that's wrong. That's not our job. Here's what you do. If you believe that someone's doing something wrong, then you pray and you say, Lord, please show them the truth. Show them the truth so that they can know and do it correct in Jesus' name. Since we are talking about faults, let's go to another topic. Let's talk about the pre-trib rapture. We've also been talking about that the last couple of days. So when it comes to this, if you are a pre-tribber, a mid-tribber, or pre-wrath rapture believer, then I'm going to ask you to consider putting your opinions aside for just a moment as I read something here to you. In other words, I want you to, just as I did, be willing to admit that perhaps you're wrong. As you know, I believe very much that there is a post-trib rapture. Matthew thirteen thirty says, Gather you first the tares, that's the sinners, bind them into bundles, that's the cities or Armageddon, bring them down to the valley of Jezreel. I gather you first the tares, bind them into bundles, cast them into the fire, then gather my wheat, that's the Christians, into the barn. June 1, 2006, and I'm going to read this because Sundar Salvarej, in my opinion, a little hard to understand. I do have it on audio, and I've changed a couple of words so that it will make more sense to us Western Gentiles. But to the very best of my ability, this is saying what he said. June 1, 2006, he says that the Lord appeared to him and said, read Matthew 24, 8. He said, I turned to my Bible and I read the scriptures, which are talking about the beginning of sorrows. And Jesus explained in the book of Revelation the message of the seven angels to the seven churches, the breaking of the seals and the blowing of the trumpets and the outpouring of the wrath of God all fit into Matthew 24, saying that all Christians will go through the tribulation. Let me say it again. He says, all Christians will go through the tribulation. It took me by surprise. I told the Lord, what you're saying is contrary to what the Pentecostals are preaching. And the Lord said, all you people are wrong. I was shocked at what the Lord told me. He said, okay, let's go with what you're believing, that all the Pentecostals are preaching that the rapture will take place before the tribulation. If the rapture will take place before the tribulation, then who will be left behind? I said, the foolish virgins and the unbelievers. Jesus said, all right, let's go with that reasoning. If the foolish virgins... And the unbelievers will be the ones who will be left behind to face the Antichrist. They are foolish virgins. Their minds are dull of understanding. They will not be able to discern the truth. So why then would the Antichrist need to force them to take the mark of the beast? He doesn't need to force them 
because they're already prepared to take the mark of the beast anyway. So why would the Antichrist need to force them to take the mark of the beast? The scriptures say that the Antichrist will force them. So who will the beast need to force if the righteous are already gone? He said, that opened my eyes. Then the Lord said, the mark of the beast is the final test for all Christians all across the world, deciding who will keep their allegiance to God and who will not. The mark of the beast will separate the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the tares, the wise from the foolish, the false from the true, the wolves from the sheep. This is the ultimate test. Only the believers who will not love their lives unto the death and will refuse to take the mark of the beast at all costs because the foolish virgins and the false believers will accept the mark of the beast, thinking nothing is wrong with it. Now, let's pause for just a second. Do you realize that if Revelation thirteen fifteen to 17 was not in the Bible, if it was not in Revelation, we would already have the mark of the beast? Think about it. We don't like having to remember all of those pin numbers. We don't like having to carry all of those credit cards and driver's license and passport and who knows what. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we all had a foolproof way to pay for everything, to identify ourselves so that there's no more money stolen, there's no more goods stolen, there's no more wallets stolen, any of that. So wouldn't that be a great? Well, it would be. That is, if it wasn't for being the mark of the beast and taking our soul to hell. So let's talk about going to hell for just a minute. One of the things I learned when I memorized the book of Revelation is how it really happens. And that I'm going to just break it down. Real simple. There's only three groups of people out of the 6,000 years of human history. All people that have ever had a beating heart. All human beings all fall into these three groups. It's as simple as this. The first group are those people whose name is in the book of life who get to live forever. Two, those not in the book of life who are tossed into the lake of fire and they get body and soul death. I say they get because the third group are those people who join the beast, the false prophet, and Lucifer in perdition, which is the lake of fire and brimstone, but they do not get soul death. I'm going to give you a scripture for it in a second. So if you take the mark of the beast, you can cut your hand off, you can chisel it off of your forehead, but you will not go to heaven. Furthermore, you will be tormented day and night forever. Here's the scriptures. Here's the one that says the beast, the false prophet, and those that take the mark of the beast or worshiped his image, those do not get soul death, but they are eternally tormented in the presence of the beast, false prophet, and Lucifer. Here it is. It's in two scriptures. So here's the first one. Revelation 19.20. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet, that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them, that had received the mark of the beast, and them that had worshipped his image. These both, the two of them, were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. That's not soul death. Then, here's the one that says the devil, the beast, the false prophet, and all those who take the mark of the beast are tormented for all eternity. Revelation 20.10. And the devil 
that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and should be tormented day and night forever and ever. Okay, okay, great. I understand why you're saying, well, you certainly got the devil, the beast, the false prophet, Lucifer. You got all three of those tormented forever and ever. But how are you going to attach us to be part of it? Here it is. This is those not in the book of life, Revelation twenty fifteen, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Yeah, yeah, I got that. But how are you getting those people that take the mark of the beast and then that worshiped his image to also be in, uh, w- without soul death, be tormented forever and ever? Well, let's go back to Revelation nineteen twenty, And it says, and had received the mark of the beast and them that had worshiped his image these, these both were cast alive into the lake burning with fire and brimstone. Meaning, there's three groups. Those in the book, those not in the book, those that have taken the mark. Only three groups. So whatever you do, brothers and sisters, whatever you do, you do not want to take the mark of the beast. Now, let me go to another email I got. This is, Hi, Brother Stan. Who sits on the throne at the sixth seal? The Father or Jesus? <laughs> so I emailed back and I said, I laughed, ha, ha, ha. I said, it's sort of a trick question. The answer is both. In heaven, there's only one throne. You remember Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Then I quoted Revelation 3.21, to him that overcometh will I grant with me to sit with me in my throne, even as I overcame also and sat down with my Father in his throne. Verse 17, for the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and lead them into living fountains of water. Then 22.1 says, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Verse 3 says, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servant shall serve him. So, one of the other people emailed and said, so when do you see the year of the Lord take place? That's a real trick question, too, as because actually when it says the year of the Lord, according to Revelation and my understanding of it, it means the time of the Lord. A more correct way to say that is a day or the day of the Lord. When it says a year of the Lord, probably you could replace that. And I haven't checked this out. Probably someone will. But probably in the Hebrew, the understanding would be the day of the Lord, because I do not know of a year of the Lord. I do not know of that, especially in Revelation. It is the day of the Lord. So the question is, when is the day of the Lord? And the answer is, I don't really know. I can guess uh, somewhere in the ballpark, 10, 15 years, maybe 20. I don't know. I'm just guessing. But I do think that those people that are alive right now, unless they have a premature death, are probably going to have the opportunity to see the beast. Now let's talk about the next question. I really believe the arrests have begun, this person says, and I have made a DVD saying that. However, I got some additional information. Someone sent me this saying, I really believe the arrests have begun and they had a link for me to click on. And as soon as I clicked on that link, I got a yawn. I thought, whoa. So what the Lord is really saying is actually the arrests that we're talking about, the arrest by John Huber, have not started taking place yet. So I wrote back for you to him. I said, good for you for watching. But no, this is not part of what we're watching for. Here's how you'll know. When you hear the name John Huber associated with the arrests, 
then you'll know these are the mass arrests. In my opinion, they have a highest probability of starting right after the holidays. And in my opinion, that's probably the reason Nancy Pelosi is pushing and rushing the impeachment to get done before Christmas. Why? Because I believe at least they think, I said they think, that they are running out of time. I believe that Nancy Pelosi, Adam Schiff, all these guys, they know about the plan. Look, you don't have 134,570 indictments without people in high places knowing. If they can listen to the secret phone calls between presidents, President of the United States, rest assured they're hearing everything out there. So, in my opinion, I think we probably look for the arrests shortly after the holidays. But again, that's just a guess. I don't know. Now, another question, final question, how should I prepare to survive the trouble ahead? Well, my objective is not to try to survive as the first objective. My objective is to win souls, and I leave the surviving part up to the Lord. I just keep my life clean, and I run trying to win as many souls as possible. You you might say it this way. I trust Jesus with my death. Think about it. We trust Jesus with our life. We trust him to provide, to protect, to bless us, to give us good jobs and good husbands and wives and children and health and all those things. We trust him in our life. We also trust him with our eternity. We believe that he arose from the dead, and if we believe in him, then we will never die, the Bible says. So we trust him with our eternity. But here's the question. Can we trust him in our death? You see, he has the keys of hell and death. That means that he decides who dies and when they die. And so if we can trust him with our life, if we can trust him with our eternity, we should certainly be able to trust him in our death, meaning that he will not put us through more testing than we can possibly go through. Bible says that in a test, he will with that test provide a way of escape, meaning he is never going to put us in a test that we cannot be successful at, meaning that we can be successful at resisting that mark of the beast. We can be successful at that. So I trust Jesus with my death. I trust him that he is going to provide daily. He is going to give me eternity, but also trust him in my death. Yes, as the Lord told Leslie, we should make every opportunity to provide for the days ahead, the trouble ahead, but we also should just know if we will have a prayer closet, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Our two books are ready to go to the printer. The printer requires half down. Each book, the full printing price, about $7,000 a book. Then we also need $5,000 to put down at the Hyatt for the Sevenfold Miracle Crusade. So if you could help with one of those, I know it's Christmas time, but the Lord has blessed you and you could help us with one of those or all of that. That would be absolutely wonderful. Lord bless them in Jesus' name. Back in 2017, God helped me to memorize the book of Revelation. God showed me that the word first fruits is actually a secret door linking the Feast of Leviticus to the prophecies of Revelation, allowing the end time events to be placed in chronological order as never before. One prophetic word said it this way. There is a lock that I have put over a word in the book of Revelation that I'm going to open unto you. It will turn many books written on the end time into obsolete books. That's this book. For the first time, you will understand that on first fruits, Jesus, the Lamb, returns to Mount Zion with 144,000 one-year-old Jews. On Pentecost, the wheat 
who are ready go to the marriage supper of the Lamb with the barley. The Father promotes Jesus at the marriage supper from Lamb to Lion, from Prince to King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus receives many crowns, a vesture dipped in his own sacrificed blood, and a white horse. The barley and wheat receive a wedding garment and a white horse to return on trumpets about four months later. This is the day of the Lord. Jesus the judge uses the morning star lightning sword to burn the tares. This is the judgment seat of Christ. All in Jesus report here and receive their just rewards. On atonement, Jesus is the judge at the great white throne. For those not in Jesus, the dead are judged based upon their works written in the books. Whosoever was not found written in the book is cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. On tabernacles, the new Jerusalem comes down from God out of heaven, all explained in the secret door to understand Bible prophecy. One for 20, don't do that. Five for 30, 10 for 55, or a case of 60 for $250 at prophecyclub.com. One for 20, five for 30, 10 for 55, prophecyclub.com. Gives you extras to give away to your friends. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your prayers. And thank you for your gifts of support. God bless. We would not be here without your prayers and generous financial support.